Map 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 the map report. Map 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 the map report. Map 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 the map report. Left my home back in Omaha. See if I could make it out in the world. And I got as far as Wichita. Suddenly I wasn't sure anymore Lost all my friends in Los Angeles And I'm not welcome in New York But I must stop back in Omaha Where the fans they always crying out for all right, in that case, welcome to Report number 87, August 15th, 2007. Welcome, greetings, hello, felicitations. Welcome to you. Yes, I don't know about felicitations, but something else that's dramatic. So, hey, what's going on, everyone? We are all here. Uh, Russ, Clea, and myself are all here for your uh, listening amusement over the next hour. I don't know that I have anything... Sp- well, there, there was one thing that I wanted to mention, but... I'm afraid that it's not going to work out the way that I was thinking it might work out in my head. So maybe it's okay, we can always cut it. Yeah, but that's see. Well, by all means. <laughs> <laughs> you don't <laughs> think it's going to hurt? I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad what we never discussed these things beforehand. Yeah, it's going to ruin everything. Let's, you don't think it'll work? Don't bring dive, it up at all. Let's dive headlong into it. Yes, especially with that build-up. What up. you got? So, I was uh, ordering books today for my classes, which will be starting up in a couple of weeks. And, yeah, I just wanted to... A couple things I want to point out about that, by the way. Number one, the fact that I, again, am very annoyed at the fact that literally a week or two after students get out of class, all of a sudden we start seeing the back-to-school ads, and I'm really not making that up. Like, they now get out of class the last week of June. Not my college students, but, you know, high school students. And really, in about two weeks by the middle of July, you start seeing back-to-school ads. Which just drives me nuts. They used I, to really I, bum me out when I was a kid and in school. I'd be like, stop, I don't want to hear it. No back to anything. Exactly. Shut up. I've still got plenty of time, and then a week passes, and you're like, I've still got plenty of time the day before. I've still got hours before I have to Yeah, return. but Greg, even as a grown adult, will see these ads or see these signs and get angry and, like, yell at the signs. Well, because it's false advertising. It implies work. It implies work for Greg back to school. It's still school. So that was one thing that bothered me is that I had to, you know, order all these books. And you get all these, you know, you get all these people sort of constantly reminding you, you know, you haven't, make sure you order your textbooks. It's very important for your students that have you ordered your tech textbooks are really important. Yes, I ordered them. Because I finally went and I ordered my textbooks. And I did it online. And they ask you on the, it's a whole online thing where you put in the ISBN number of the book and you order it and that's fine. And I went over to Amazon to find some of the um, some of the information, and it occurred to me that as I was going through looking at these things, that there were so many different versions of the books which could theoretically be used for any given class, a lot of which involves different prices, and that's basically the point here that I'll get back to in a second, that it becomes very hard to choose among them. And the thing that drives me nuts about it is figuring out how to choose between these versions, because I want to save money for my students, because they already spend a lot of money on books and whatever, so I try to keep the prices low. So I find a couple books, I'm like, okay, this is a good price, but then I'm not sure how to choose among them. So what do I do? Well, I decide I will turn to my fellow book readers and I go to the review section on Amazon of these books. Now here's the thing that annoys me. All of the people reviewing these books are supposedly people that have either purchased the books or read them or have some experience with them or know something about them. And yet almost all in almost all these cases, the reviews that are listed are almost polar opposites of each other. Like the first person will be like, This is incredibly useful because I use this for a class at blah and this is incredibly helpful and I really like this book because of blah 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 blah. Second person's like, this has to be one of the worst books that I've ever found because I found blah, 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 blah. Like, it's one thing if you have reviewers all looking at the same thing and liking different, like, and they either like that or they don't. You know, like someone reviews an action movie and they're like, lots of action. And some reviewers are like, I like lots of action. Other ones are like, oh, that's only action and needs to be more stuff. But how can you have two rational people 
reviewing this book, which is supposed to be like an academic text, and coming up with these two completely different, as if they were reading two separate books, which makes me start to wonder, are any of them just paid off? Like, is the one who's supporting the book paid off by the book publisher to, like, support it? Is the one who's objecting to it the one who was paid off by a rival book publisher to go, you know, because there's no, like, there's no vetting process. They can just put stuff on there if they want to. That's the thing that drives me nuts. Like, how am I supposed to determine the choice between these books without buying them and then reading them and then deciding okay well this is a waste of x amount of money and it's just it's it's annoying man so your criticism of this process is it that the system is corrupt or that there's just a diversity of opinion and that pisses you off well but that's the problem it's like your sports radio thing in california right it's more like a bipolarity of opinion or like a split personality ish of split personality mm-hmm. of opinion right where one person's like great that other person's like terrible great terrible let's go to the radio he's great no he's terrible that that's kind of what it's like with these book things uh-huh. too and i just you know but i don't have any part when you were telling your story and you're like they go this is crappy because blah 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 shouldn't you be examining the blah 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 right to see whether or not you blah, agree blah, with blah. their kind of opinion yeah but the blah 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 is stuff that like the specifics but, but they say, like, they're like, it's great because, you know, it's a book that has, you know, X number of pages. And, like, that's the thing. They even disagree factually on the book. Like, they'll say, okay. you know, this is great because it's a big book. And the next person's like, this sucks because it's a small book. I'm like, what? It's the same but book. What are you easier, talking right? about? Yeah, it does. Like, if that the would reviewer's make it a moron, if the reviewer's like, I hate books that are 296 pages and this book is, then you don't really have to listen <laughs> to their opinion well, anymore. No, no, no. It's not quite like that. But I mean, it's like, you know, it's the number well, of things you can find. It's even easier it, than that. Know? If one person is saying, this book is really long, and the other one's saying, this is really short, you just go to see how many pages is, and if you think the book is long <laughs> or short... <laughs> But then that brings it back to me. Like, I'm trying to get some, like, suggestions to confirm. I mean, how easier can you get? This this book cover is brown, and I don't like brown. Uh, This book cover is yellow. Well, let's see what the book... Oh, oh, it looks like it's brown. Yeah, but what if it's like a... What if it's like an off-brown, or what if it's like a brownish yellow? And then they comment later, well, it turns out I'm colorblind, so I want to apologize (laughs) to the Amazon community. For posting in haste. I just it went turns to the out I did. But that's the thing about these reviews. Like, I don't know if you guys heard about this. Anyone who's been on Amazon, do you remember the reviewer Harriet Klausner? She's like listed as the number one reviewer. And if you go to any Amazon site, any Amazon book, she will generally have reviewed a ton of the books that you go to from any genre. Well, this is what I mean about the potential corruption. Because as it turns out, they did a story on Harriet Klausner, and she supposedly claims that she's a speed reader. And so she's able to read, like, say, five or six books a day. But they did a study that showed that, in fact, she has averaged 15 to 20 book reviews a day on Amazon, which means unless she's even faster than she's remembering, i.e. 20 book reviews per day, she is either not reading the books or there is no Harriet Klausner and the whole thing is a put on and it's made up and there is no such thing. Prior to some of them she's read before. Yeah, but she's now read like like 15,000 books, though. Like, I mean, how many books could this woman have read? Well, how old is she? And it's not even that. It's new books. It's like books in 2006, 2007. It's things like that. Like, because now a lot of publishers... Maybe she reads the samples. She reads like the four pages that Amazon lets you read that are scanned. (laughs) Yeah, no, no, I think that's true. I think that you... Because if you read a lot of her reviews... In fact, I'm going to look one up right now. If you read a lot of her reviews, they say things like, you know, this book is a classic tale of fantasy about so-and-so and so-and-so. And you're like, yeah, that says that in the blurb thanks and it's just like i didn't really like the table of contents i thought it was poorly described and it didn't give you enough information to review the book the cover art is terrible why why is the cover art so bad and another thing about the back cover is okay but it really could have been more dedicated (laughs) to more family members of the author exactly my friend i don't have any opinions about the content now you know what greg in browsing amazon i have a similar thing and it's funny, the story that I was going to bring up is incredibly related to this, so that's fantastic. Well, of course, who says we, we didn't plan there, this? I think that usually when you read the reviews, you can get a good sense of whether they're planted or not. And they're definitely planted reviews, especially for products. Like, you know, I was trying to buy, like, a an electric razor, and then some of the ones would be like, yeah, it sucks because you have to, like, replace the blades, and then the battery doesn't last very long. And then another review is like, I love my Remington Norelco 653C <laughs> Model H. It gives me the cool comfort of shaving on the go, but also lets me have a close shave as if I had a blade. For only I'm 39 so happy 95. To have this and we'll buy... Yeah, exactly. And, and then you're like, okay... 
that's the plan. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, well, like, and that's the thing. Not, also, every book that she reviews tends to be like four or five stars. Like, I'm, I just randomly put in the name of a book that I that I have, and sure enough, it came up, and it's like, John Helfers has created an imaginary realm so detailed and believable, readers will believe it actually exists. The battle scenes are so intricately described, the audience can see it in the mind's eye, while the romance between Terrace and Serena is used as a tension reliever. Now, does that explain anything to you? If you read the back cover of the book, it's like, an imaginary realm of detailed and believable believability with greatly innately described battle scenes and a robots between terrorists and like i mean what and of course she gives it five stars you know and harriet klausner do you think that there are people like this who like get paid off by book publishers to review things on amazon because they're well regarded on the internet she gets like 50 she says she gets something like 40 or 50 books a day in fact apparently there's even an anti-harriet klausner website look at this she's reviewed 14,555 books and she's currently ranked number one as a reviewer, obviously, because, I mean, who else? Can you go back, Greg, uh, and uh, and scroll up for me there for a second? Yes. Keep going. Okay, Greg, you've written a book. I wrote a review a myself. Review. Yeah, it's a book. It's an extensive review explaining a lot oh of individual details God. as opposed to, this book is a work of fantasy with monsters and people, and the people and the monsters are fighting, <laughs> and it's powerful when they fight with swords, and there's a castle, and... And it's like Tolkien Greg because Wilson, <laughs> the lone combatant in making the internet literate. <laughs> I will make you people smarter. Look at this detail. They're like lol's ass. <laughs> no, not lol's ass. Intricate <laughs> details and chapters and analysis. I'll review lol's ass. The, begi- the beginning of the, the beginning of the second paragraph starts. It's good to know then that at least some writers are now demonstrating their ability to write in this later category. J. Gregory Key's new series. The key, this is not the author he's reviewing. This is. He's context. He's providing context of a re- making a relation to another author. It's a wonderful uh, example of this work, and it's great to see that John Helfers is another writer who understands what works and, and even better, how to deliver what God. works to his readers. And then you go up to the one right above it, and it's like, there are books with mystical critters, magic, and kingdoms in combat. It's like, oh my God, what? And then Greg signs it off as I Dr. Really Gregory Wilson. I enjoyed this book. <laughs> When I needed to sit higher in my chair for dinner, <laughs> and I sat on it. This book swatted it flies. It was very helpful. It was healthy. Thank and you. Thank you. This is like Lol a book ass. review. Listen to this. The, the third paragraph, as a military historian himself, Helfers knows how to write his battle scenes. And the combat never feels forced here. No, would you stop moving it around so I can't read? <laughs> Nor overly glamorous. Would you rather... Okay, look, look. Look, I'll just put it this way. I didn't want to bring myself up here, but here we go. Would you rather read... Uh, in any case, he establishes enough credibility in the book's beginning. One is willing to follow him through to its conclusion, and the payoff is well worth the journey. In the meantime, it's one hell of a ride. Or would you rather read, I thought at first I was in store for a book about a siege, how the characters ended up in such a situation, but there's so much more here. Which, which would you rather read? Would you rather read, it's a I story read about, about a barrage? <laughs> yeah, there can always be more. Would you and rather read a review that you says... You read and you're like, I wish there were some tulips. And they're like, well, there's more. There could be tulips. I mean, would you rather See? read that or I'm especially fond of the critters, which is a direct Greg, quote from one is, of their critters. See? Is curtainup.com not giving you enough work? <laughs> I know. I know, I know. Like, this is really problem? ridiculous. I know, I know. Although, That's wait a minute. He, re- he did write this back in November of 2005. That's right. Well, yeah. So, um, it was a little oh, while ago. Before Curtain Up. It was before uh, Curtain Up. Yeah. That's right. It's before I'd really gotten the there. Dawn, the, the dawn, dawn of Curtain of the Up. The Met before <laughs> Greg was uh, busy with other things. Right, you know, exactly. one other thing I wanted to mention quickly before you go into the segue, Russ, is that speaking of Curtain Up, Clea and I just got done with watching some shows for the New York City Fringe Festival, which is a bunch of sort of off, 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 off Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to mention that in the process of submitting the reviews, I noticed that there was a show which had been completely off my radar screen, which was called um, Idol the Musical. And it's based on American Idol. And the show uh-huh. opened and closed on the same night. Now that is quality. And in the review that was, I didn't do the review, but in the review they used, the person said, I wish that this could have closed and opened, opened and closed even earlier. Now remember, it all closed on the same night. She said, because surely theater this bad can't be good for anyone. Now that is what I call cruel. That's the opposite of Harry Klausner. That's, that's laying it all on the line. I mean, you know, I hadn't even heard of this. Open and closed in the same night. I hadn't even That's heard impressive. of this musical. I mean, 
what has to happen? Does some, you know, official or trustee or someone have to go like, this is not... It's actually well, a man I, I dressed in a beetle this. uniform. He's got like a halberd and he walks like, out like, this show man. shall be shot. This show has no redeeming quality. No, um, it's basically the reason he said that he closed it was for complete lack of uh, complete lack of advanced ticket sales and other lack of interest, basically. So that's that's mm-hmm. kind of that's kind of what. So happened. was it kind of like a Did comedy? Did the emperor of- walk in? And like yawn three times. Like that, three that's yawns, basically what does and it. The play would end that very night. Yep. Two yawns and the weekend at best. Well, With one yawn, the composer could still squeak out nine performances. It's nine, true. And withdrawn. He wrote and said that he chose to close the show due to a lack of advanced ticket sales, a lack of positive feedback from audience members and critics, and a lack of sustainable financial resources. And also, his life was threatened. Like, I don't know what else he could say. They had replaced their entire cast during the previews. Like, the previews, everyone's like, this is terrible. And they're like, quick, new cast. And then the opening night came, and they're like, this is terrible. And they're like, quick, no show. Like, basically, that's what happened. So was I it mean, based on, like... It's based on American Idol, like a, a, a fake... Yeah, it's supposed to be like a satire cast. of American Idol, oh, okay. but like just really badly done. And they said that this was the most... The person in the review said it was the most hostile audience reception that this person had ever been at. Like, all the, it was just uncomfortable. All the jokes, nobody laughed, and everyone was just silent. Nobody clapped for the songs. Like, it was just... It was just bad. And, mm. yeah. So, I mean, that pretty much shows you what happens when you try to make a musical. But I was just sort of mystified how, that it opens and closes in the same night. That's that's quality right there. But that happens, uh, you know. Yeah, but I mean, that just shows you. Like, what do you do Paul with that Simon's situation? Paul Simon's musical, I think, clo- open and close on the same day. But how do you how do you put a good spin on that? Like, how do you say, you know what, guys, um, this was a waste of time. Um, we're we're sorry. Yeah, that probably would work. Yeah. Have we have we lost Russ? No. Okay, very good. I'm here. <laughs> He's just stunned. All right. Well, anyway, so I was just kind of mesmerized by that. But that um, shows you when bad things happen. So, so you were gonna say? Oh. The segue that I had, which was not Amadeus related, was um, there's an article in Wired magazine this week, and it is entitled, See Who's Editing Wikipedia, Diebold the CIA, a Campaign. And basically, I'll read you the synopsis, which is, A new data mining service launched Monday traces millions of Wikipedia entries to their corporate sources and for the first time puts comprehensive data behind longstanding suspicions of manipulation, which until now have only surfaced in piecemeal investigations. Yeah. So essentially what it's saying is is companies like Diebold and the CIA, in fact, are editing Wikipedia entries and removing text that speaks badly of their organization. <laughs> so when you have this whole Diebold, you know, scam, um, the conspiracy theorists who believe that they're rigging elections, there are people at Diebold who are going through Wikipedia and deleting stuff. Okay, so where the uh, hell is... The funny thing is... Oh, go ahead. I was, I was just going to ask, I just want to say quickly, where the hell is Lars, you know, who keeps wanting to keep my poor band out of Wikipedia because it's not justified? Where the hell is he on this, I want to say? Where's Lars Larson or Frank Frankson or whoever? He is on this, in point of fact, because it turns out that every time these diebold executives think they're so, you know, quick to mess up the uh, the conspiracy theorists, then some Wikipedia user replaces it like in 10 seconds later on. So it's like they, you know, they want to be sinister, but they really have no more power than any ordinary Wikipedia user. So, but they did trace this stuff, and so they are trying to meddle. I it's see. just unfortunate that they have to now be part of a large community that's completely, um, you know, democratic in nature. But see, I guess that leads to a, an interesting question, which is, where can we find in our society a source of truly unbiased information? Because it seems like what we're dealing with now is just, we have to find competing sources of bias. And then Clea said, basically, like with the book situation, you find two sources of bias, and then go and find which source of bias you agree with, and that's the right source. But I mean, how do you find a source that you can actually trust that isn't going to be underneath, uh, that isn't going to be sinister and, you know, doing this kind of stuff? Like, it does such a source well, exist? Well, there's a difference between bias and, and being sinister. Well, okay, sinister bias. Sinister bias. Yeah. <laughs> like Darth Vader has sinister bias. But, like, I'm serious. Like, he it seems like there's nowhere to be able to do that, right? Evil. Like, there's there's no place to find what? something relatively objective in terms of reviews or things like that. I mean, I try to be objective in my reviews, but it seems like in a lot of these cases, the only bu- the only way to sort of balance things out is to just get two radically opposed positions and hope you can somehow trace out a middle ground. I mean, because Wikipedia obviously is not a legitimate source of information, and a lot of these places, you have to wonder about who's funding them. Like, the Wall Street Journal just got bought up by Rupert Murdoch. How long do you think it's going to take before that decides to start making a lot of positive comments about uh, Fox's business potential? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, 
I think that part and parcel of what we all believe in on this show is that the mass media is completely untrustworthy now. Like, completely. You just can't... Right. I mean, anything that they're, they're reporting on has basically been fed to them by some higher-ups in their corporate sponsor, because that's what they want to be reporting on. So... Given that, what are we left with? Wikipedia though, Russ is the greatest alternative in the world. Yeah, I know that's the problem. Like the alternatives are just this disparate group of random internet things that are at least independent. Whether they're reliable or not, nobody really has any idea. Yeah, but that's our alternative. Like basically, the truth is out there. It's just really, really freaking scattered. That's 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 what it is. Like the truth is out there somewhere. If you could somehow reassemble it into disparate parts, you know. You could also look mm-hmm. at the negative reports. And see whether or not you would have an issue with what they have an issue with. But isn't that going along with the bias again? Isn't that just finding something that agrees with you to begin with? No. I said if they don't like something, then you can say, okay, I wonder if that's really a big deal or if it's not something that I think I would worry about or something like that. No, I suppose. But, I mean, if you're trying to go and get objective opinions about something so you can really sort of to aid you in something. Isn't that like an oxymoron or something? Objective opinions? Yes. Well... I guess, you know, maybe it is. I mean, I guess that's the point. That's maybe the, whole, it is now. the whole concept of going to try to see someone's opinion or customer reviews is not to get a truth about the product. Technically, the facts of the product are listed in the product description. The whole point of getting reviews is you'd like to hear real people's real beliefs and experience about the product. But see, here's my problem. That's where you get back to Amazon. And Amazon has a lot of real people leaving reviews. The problem is that the real people are all over the place. Like, right. I think you well, could probably, if you're are. willing to read, like, a thousand reviews, you might get sort of a general sense of whether something's good or bad. You know, it seems like you have to do a lot of legwork to get up to the point where you can really have enough information to go on. I think that's true. But, I mean, also, we just have access. The problem really is access. We just have access to more information than anyone has ever had in the history of the world, literally. Um, I remember reading something that said uh, that any random person living today has access to the amount of information that it would take someone from the 18th century, like, you know, 2,000 years to have access to the same amount of information that we do. So because of that, you know, we have more information, but we also have to do a lot more vetting and a lot more choices based on incomplete information, even if the incomplete information is, you know, way better than what most people have access to. Hmm. I see. I could see that being totally useful if we could invent a time machine and then go back and lord it over the 18th century person and be like, ha, you have only a fraction of the knowledge I have available to me. Where do you think? You think what about the country? No, that's not where this comes from. No, no, I'm sorry. That comes from here. See, here's the pronoun from the internet. Well, we could <laughs> learn about Sumer. We'd have to travel to the monastery, which I believe is in uh, Youngstown, which is old carriage trip of, of for several weeks, but then if we get the permission of the abbot, we should be able to read the text if they're not, you know, disintegrated and we'll find out something about Sumeria. Well, I don't, I'll just look Google, Google, Sumeria. oh, Wikipedia says something what about it. <laughs> no. There you go. What, what? Is, what, what does Google mean? you, wizard, witch, <laughs> warlock, fool, burn you. So, I mean, that's, that's actually a good point. What, what we need to do is we need to have an, a, an 18th century sensibility and curiosity paired with 21st century technology. That's what we need to do. We need to get an 18th century person like the one you described, the guy who's like, all my life I have searched for the final answer and truth to the... And then we put him in front of a computer, and that guy could go hog wild. Right now we have a bunch of people who have information and don't give a damn about it. And back then we had a, guys who really gave a, damn, gave a damn about it but couldn't get it. So this would be the perfect combination. And the only bridge is the time machine. That's all we need. So that should be easy. Why would we need this man? Because this man would have the sort of the motivation that current people lack. Right now, my students go to Wikipedia because it's Wikipedia and it's easy and they can type in Wikipedia and they have it favorited. So they just have to click a couple times. Whereas this guy would be like, not just Wikipedia, I would like to go and look at the ancient lands of a, and this reminds me of the blah and I would be able to go to the blah. You know what I mean? And then what would you do with the information from this guy? Well, the point is, I would set that, he'd be a perfect, like, research assistant guy. Like, let's say that we're talking about something on the MEP report, and we come up with something which may not be true. I mean, I know that doesn't happen because we speak the truth on this show, but let's just say something came up that wasn't necessarily true. We could send this guy, let's call him Reginald, we could send Reginald off to get this information on the internet, and he would he would have far more motivation and time than any of us would have to go find this information. So you think there's no one currently living in 2007 that has the same motivation for intellectual knowledge and facts? 
as someone who lived 2,000 years ago. But I guess the problem is that more access in some ways reduces the motivation because we know we have it. It's not like it's a life quest because you've got it in front of you. So if we could take a guy whose life quest was to get information and then deliver that information to him, all of a sudden you'd have a really motivated guy who would be interested in getting the information. Access plus motivation. You know what I think we should do? Or what I would like to see? What's that? I would love to see giving uh, a group of 18th century aristocrats access to an internet message board and see how they <laughs> communicated with you. <laughs> Archibald! Look, Reginald 6570, I don't know what you mean by that, but you are a charlatan, sir, and I am a charlatan, am I? Well... Dear sir, I refer you to the quests of Thucydides, and in which he replied that there are no such turns of the feather in war and love. What? You, I, Reginald. And, and every message that they would do, that's even that's like I IMing, they would like write this incredibly long thing, and each one would end with like, yours ever, yours in haste, Johnson Franklin. You know, it's like in each post is like five minutes apart, but they all do the, the elaborate flourishes, and you know, I am your obedient servant, Archibald Reginald the 50th, or you know, whatever. Yeah, this sounds really good, you guys. I, I sense a touch of... Uh, Sarcasm? Sarcasm. You'd be correct, sir. Well, why? What's wrong with this great idea? Uh... And that's time. <laughs> I guess it's the greatest idea of all time. Man, I like my idea. Well, right. fine. So it's not... Also, you should have phrased your answer in the form of a... <laughs> exclamation of disgust. Do you think there were 18th century game shows? Like something that was the equivalent? Like yes. what games were played back then? Yes, they were called Let's Go Watch the Dueling Guys Outside. <laughs> they were about the, to shoot each other in the that head. That was the gaming show. <laughs> um, no, it's time for your favorite show. Let's go outside and watch the dueling guys <laughs> shoot each other in the head. <laughs> Our first contestant is an aristocrat from the north of England. His name is Reginald Archibald Smith the Seventh, and he is really irritated that his contestant is. The former vice president, Mr. Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr. scoundrel. <laughs> Aaron Burr. <laughs> and Alexander Hamilton. That would be like the WrestleMania. That would be like the biggest event of the whole season. <laughs> that would be Sweeps Week. Absolutely. That show would be Alexander Hamilton versus Aaron Burr. Alexander Hamilton's <laughs> just like, what? Secretary of the Treasury <laughs> and the vice president. This should be quite a duel. <laughs> yes, they're using Scottish pistols uh, with... Lead muskets. <laughs> Lead muskets. Painted glossy black. <laughs> and With flames on the side, I mean. They're pacing. They've chosen a 10-pace count. And... <laughs> oh, Burr's cheated. He shot him in the back of the neck. <laughs> but he still wins. Well done, Well sir. done. You realize that there are no rules, except for the ones you agree to. The lead-up to that would have been awesome. Oh. Hamilton just being like, what you gonna do when the Secretary of the Treasury rains down upon you? What you gonna do? That'd be awesome. You could have a whole big setup. I'd be pretty pleased with that. Be pretty no? pleased. I would love to see those guys in, like, the wigs and, like, the... <laughs> All the stuff that they used to wear back then, like trying to be tough man wrestler speeches. They're like, you, Aaron Burr, you will feel the heat of my pistol as I wield it at your poorly sculptured forehead during our encounter. Is it tomorrow? Oh dear. Oh, I'm not prepared for this. He'll be looking out at the audience. He's like, I would have oh, expected no. nothing less from a CAD, and everyone's like, oh, oh, yes, oh, Alexander, oh, oh CAD, oh. <laughs> so, so what would their equivalent of the people's elbow be? <laughs> the people's elbow, right. It would be like, um, geez, I don't know, from Alexander Hamble, it would be like the people's, the, uh, no, he'd ha his finishing move would be like the, the five. People's rapier, it would be, <laughs> the people's rapier, maybe. The people's rapier. Or it would be like the $5 bill. The that would be his move, would be like the $5 bill. And that's where he shoots someone, and then he puts a $5 bill over the bullet hole, and he walks away. Because he's shooting him in the head anyway. I used to do this bit um, about the phrase sticking the dagger in because you know how we use that in sports when somebody would hit like a big clutch shot at the end. It's like, oh, and there's the dagger in the heart. Yeah. But to me, that always seemed like the, like the wussiest form of like clinching a victory because a dagger is like this, you know, it's very sort of wussified weapon. It's like, oh, if you were stabbed with one, you wouldn't think so. I guess not. But I mean, it's so it it fits more in the land of let's you know watch people shoot each other in the head in an 18th century duel than it does a tough guy sport. Okay, 
So what? I mean, what would be a better one? Like you know, oh, and that cut the head off and rip- like the hand the- grenade. Yeah, something like oh napalm or like you know <laughs> oh it's a nuclear holocaust. Oh, I ripped you the know, heart like from his real- still beating <laughs> chest of the team and ate it yeah. just then. That was great. Who can see the organs liquefy in the opponents as he makes this shot? This is pure Ebola. <laughs> oh, oh man, that was Ebola. He bowled that one. Yes, he did. They're all dead. I mean, a horror. I think part of the horrible, reason horrible finish maybe was to distinguish between such horrific events and the sporting event. LeBron pulls up for the chopper. Lopez. It's Lopez. <laughs> it's all over. Lopez. The dagger. It's just. It's just too old. we like, excuse me, the Baron of Davis. I shall deposit this pumpkin-colored sphere in the receptacle yonder, and you won't stop me, not even with your bejeweled crimson dagger. <laughs> you know, it's like that would be. Mu- you'd be much more happy with that. Is that what you're saying? No, I would prefer the the lupus call. <laughs> yes, I, more, yes, I think Albert. Yes, I figured as much. Yes! I'm lupus! But the thing is, I think you're thinking of the dagger as, like, from some kind of romance novel. Or, like, you know, some movie where you stat, like, a, mis- a, mur- a murder like mystery. Romeo and Juliet. Well, where they kill themselves with the dagger or something. Right, because, you know, the way they kill themselves is really not nasty at all. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just this pleasant thing. It's almost nice, you know, you kill somebody and then they just fall over and dead. You realize yeah, that that's... romantic death. It's, it's, that thing really. is... It's much more disturbing than that, and gross and horrific. That's the issue, is that you don't realize how gross and horrific about, a dagger death can be. What if it's a jagged dagger? What about, like, a burning at the stake? Hey, birds, um, at the stake, game over. <laughs> Why would the no? Knicks announcer be making this call? <laughs> well, Marv is now an NBA announcer guy. He doesn't have to just cover the Knicks. It's fine. And Tichabal with the execution! I mean, I, I guess, you know, the truth is that in a lot of ways, so many of these sports metaphors have, I mean, like, we talked about cliches, I guess, on this show before, but it is true that some of these guys you listen to, I mean, they really, they all read from the same the same manual, and that's the problem, is the language is too weak now. You know, all this stuff about, you know, I give 150%, and... Take it day by day. What if the guy was like, what do you think you're going to do out there? I think I'm going to take the guy's neck and I'm going to rip it out by the spine like in Mortal Kombat. And then I'm going to break the spine over my knee. And then I'm going to take the still dripping of blood. You know, why don't they do something more interesting instead of this kind of, well, you know, they've got a tough team over there. They would immediately become the most popular athlete on the Internet. And they would be quoted a hundred bazillion times. It's on marketing. The boards I know it's marketing. Everything would work way better. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I. It's true that language doesn't seem to really um, get us where it needs to go as much as it used to. It used to be so much more colorful back in the day. Although I have to say, I've been reading Don Quixote, which I'd never read before, and man, that guy, that guy can let a sentence. That guy knows how to work a sentence into the ground. It's like semicolon. Like there's a half. There are half page sentences. It's just like, and in the truth of your precious figure, semicolon, which really defines for me what I believe to be great and wonderful, semicolon, and I believe the dub it up it up, semicolon, and so with it, semi semicolon, semicolon, semicolon. It's like, oh my god, like you know, the, you this image that people back in the day really mm-hmm. knew how to write. Eh, I don't know about that. That reminds me of John Steinbeck, my least favorite author. That's true. Also, Story's uh, least favorite author, former Met reporter uh, Story. Yeah, we, was hate, also we hate John Steinbeck. Steinbeck. <laughs> well, he's all right, you know. But I never heard of yeah, him. Yeah, I know, I know. He's, he's, he's dead. Um, thing else that I really hated. Oh, you just reminded me of more lack of language and communication on our world. Okay. Michael Kay, my <laughs> least favorite individual in broadcasting. Yes. Has been given Dan Patrick's slot on ESPN Radio. What? Like, they were like, okay, we know that Russ hates it when we try to do sports talk in, in Los Angeles because everything's horrible. So why don't we take the one tolerable thing that he used to like, which was Dan Patrick, especially because with Dan Patrick, you would get his buddy Keith Olbermann, who would literally take time off from his MSNBC job and go back to chatting sports with Dan, which was awesome because Keith Olbermann is hilarious. But instead, why don't we replace him with Michael Kay? Oh, oh, God. Yeah, well... Michael K. Well, just explain for our listeners who may not know what is wrong with Michael K. First of all, this is the Yankees TV announcer, okay, in, people, in case people are wondering. Um, why is Michael K. Okay, bad? Okay, so he, he is the TV announcer, and he was... 
you know, one of the higher-ups for the most well-known sports organization, like most profitable sports organization in the world. And yet, he lacks any definable good quality. Like, name <laughs> a good quality that a broadcaster could have. Anything. He's not Anything an, that would be a plus as a broadcaster. He's not an axe murderer. Anything. Knowledge about sports. He right. He doesn't, he doesn't have really that. have that, yeah. He's not an axe murderer. He does not know anything. He doesn't know anything about baseball. Ken Singleton, who was an ex-player, is constantly correcting him. He's like, well, no, actually, it did make sense to bunt there because in this situation, you know, you want to have a runner in scoring position. Do you know what that means? <laughs> scoring position? Michael Kay? He's like, oh, I don't know. The Yankees. The Yankees are good. I like the Yankees. He's like, no, no, focus, focus. Scoring position. Well, because Joe Torre told me that they're good and the Yankees. No, Derek no. Jeter is great. On, I love Derek Jeter. So why is Derek he still Jeter around? Is my friend, Derek Jeter. Because he's, he's a great a He's a great ass organization. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> this is how Russ connects Steinbeck and Michael Kane. That was very well done. It's, it's because if they try to fire him, then he will crush their head with his giant hands. It's like the only thing that he's got going for him. So gentle. Like I didn't mean to kill them. I didn't mean it. Strong. I didn't mean I to do that. Don't want to shake hands with Johnny Diamond. Don't Arnie. I didn't mean to hurt Don't Arnie. Johnny Diamond is so soft and pretty. I like to shake his hands and touch his hair. I crushed Johnny Diamond. Oh, I'm in trouble. Um. Oh, Michael K. But I. Where's John Sterling? John Sterling. Where's John? Because John Sterling was like his. You know, he was the guy who brought him up because they were on the radio together. But I thought this Sterling was, when he was tolerable. Was when he was John Sterling's sidekick. But I thought Sterling didn't like K. That's when he was tolerable. Oh, really? I'm big surprise that he didn't like Michael K. Who likes Michael K? Well, so why is Nobody this guy still around? Because he's a tremendous ass kisser, that's why. He's like a company man. He's like one of those guys in a company who's like, he's been there forever. He has no talent or ability. He does no work. <laughs> Nobody knows what he does. He's a VP of something. He's there like, you know, five minutes during the week. But he, everybody, the, the higher-ups, like, the, he's been around, and he's a company guy, and they like him, and they keep him. There's no reason. He has no qualities that should keep him in a job, any job that requires him to speak. He should not be able to hold down these jobs. I, so other qualities that broadcasters could have, like you could name a couple. Knowing sports would be a good one. Being eloquent, being able to speak interestingly right. about or describe the game well. Yes. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's really funny. You can't do that. Um, it's like, I mean, come on. Being entertaining. I'm not going to even ridiculous that I just said that that was possible. Like, entertaining good at, people. Good at interviewing. Good voice. Even a good voice. Like, if he just had a voice. Like, that's all he would need. And he doesn't One have quality. a voice. When oh, he speaks, like he's like, blah, blah, blah. That's what he does. <laughs> No, because he's like 6'4". He's a giant guy, but he's like, and I feel, oh, I like Derek Jeter. He also has weird. He also has an annoying. Sucks. His home run call is really annoying because he thinks that it's very clever and it's not. He's like, and it's going in. It's see ya. A three run, and it's just like see ya. And the thing is that the see ya. Well, it doesn't quite sound like a deranged Chinese food worker, to be honest with you. But yeah. Chinese yeah. food worker? You know, it's not like that. It's not like, okay. you know. See ya, I'm doing Yeah, exactly. No, he's not. <laughs> no, but that, it's true. Like, he's not He's not very clever. Like, and, and that's really the basic problem is that, is that K... Does it like, for example, this this happened today in the game. You know, you're, he's going through the game and he's like, "Well, you know." And every time something happens, he's the master of understatement, the master of understatement. So today, Marion Rivera gave up this three run, uh, this two run homer, and gave up three runs. And he actually said, "Well, that's going to make it a little more difficult for the Yankees in the bottom of the ten. <laughs> it was like a little more difficult. It's like, yeah. up oh, the earthquake yeah. is going to make it that's a little more difficult to recover the people that are now in the fault that was created by the." In the canyon that created by the earthquake, you know? Nearly perfect example. And that specifically, like, as a more subtle example of what pisses me off about him, when you're an announcer 
everybody knows this, and all baseball fans know this. You don't jinx your team. So, for instance, <laughs> if a guy's pitching a no-hitter, you don't be like, this is going to be the greatest no-hitter that we ever saw. He's going to get every man out, and then it's going to celebrate, and it's going to be a no-hitter. No, you don't do that. In fact, you don't even mention it. You're just like, well, he's got a good game going. We'll see if he keeps it up. That's what you say. Or... If you want your team to rally from a deficit, you're like, well, let's see what they can do. Let's see if they can put something together. Michael K. ruined everything. <laughs> he looks at the deficit. He's like, well, the Yankees just scored three runs, so maybe they can score three <laughs> runs again. I'm like, no. <laughs> you don't say that. You're a moron. And then, of course, they got out well, one, they two, just three. Did it. They could probably do it again, right, Ken? Uh, actually, the chances of that happening are like 875 <laughs> to 1. No. Oh, they're the Yankees. They're my friends. They can do it. It's like, shut up. Hate you. God damn it. It is true. He does do and that. He ruins everything. He ruins everything. Yeah. And even when it happens, you like don't want it to happen anymore. Because then Michael Caper, see, they scored five runs, like I said, because I love them. <laughs> shut up. Be subtle. Be subtle. Oh my God. Subtlety. And then every so often, then oh, it's funny because yeah. after the games, they'll go back to him for his commentary in the booth. They're like, let's go back to Michael and Ken in the booth and see what we can do. And it's like, oh. Michael, what, do you, what was your opinion about this, you know, about how this pitcher was? Like, well, you know, it really seemed like he had something going. But, you know, in the seventh inning, it really seemed like he did. It's like, yeah, Mike, I, I didn't want the game summary. Can you give me your analysis of what actually happened? He's like, well, There's the seventh no inning, thing. he gave up he more no hits analysis. than he had in the sixth <laughs> inning or in the fifth <laughs> inning, really, or any of the innings part post before that. Like, it's just, uh. but, why, Michael? Why? Because they don't like the Yankees. I like the Yankees. It's true. They are mean and bad. I like the Yankees. It's true. He's also Yankees. one of those guys who immediately, upon seeing a pitch, before they even show the replay, will be like, well, that's clearly outside. And then when they cut to the string and they're like, what? They show the ball going over the plate. He's like, well, in the opinion of a home plate umpire, and then he gives the full name, you know, Mitch L. Wendelstadt, who lives yeah. at 660 you know, Forest Lane, in case you want to go. <laughs> kill him right now after the game uh you know in his opinion it was a strike and then ken sigler was like well it looked like actually it probably caught a lot of the play well it's awfully close and too too close to call i guess and it's hard to tell and he's like no it was actually a clear strike all right moving on to the next bit like he just he's he's really yeah do you want an example of michael k humor last night in the game they were talking about uh jorge posada and how he had a very high obp which stands for on-base percentage, yes. and he has like one of the highest in the league right now. And so Michael K's riff on OBP, he's like, OBP? Yeah, you know me. And then <laughs> Ken Singleton was like, did you just make a reference from a crappy rap song from 15 years ago? Like, yeah, you know me. <laughs> Well, because he's because he does a show called Center Stage where so he brings pathetic. these people on who are supposed to be these like oh, hip God. people, and he brings them on and he interviews them. And I've I saw one of these shows, and they're all that like he was interviewing Kevin Costner, and so he it's just it's just like so obvious that he's just like well. One of your one of my movies that's my favorite of yours that a lot of people may not think is this may not be one of the high on the he's radar the screen. Same guy d- that does he those does interviews? center stage, yeah, yeah. Um, people may not realize he's not the guy who does the actor studio. I'm not talking about inside the actor studio. I'm talking about this is a show Stop called Center him Stage. More jobs. Yeah, no, there's no take jobs away. There's an interview show on. Don't give him more jobs. <laughs> no, there's an interview show on. Yes, which is called Center Stage. And he interviews, like, you know, sports figures and all these different people. And he interviews Kevin Costner. (laughs) He's like, you know, one of your movies that I find really one of the favorites, and maybe a little off the beaten path, Field of Dreams. Everyone remember that? (laughs) Everybody's like, um, that's not really off the beaten path. That's the one everyone thinks of when they think of Kevin. And what I want to know is, what was it like working with James Earl Jones? Can can you you discuss that? What was, when, when you, James Earl Jones... What kind of an actor is he, really? I mean, could you explain that? It's just like, what the freak? I'm really thinking, do you know how they have that website, uh, firejoemorgan.com? Yes. I'm thinking of starting up all movement under, like, uh, Michael K. is a useless sack of flesh.com. Or just some website where people can congregate and complain about Michael K. and possibly get him fired. Or at least at least make him defensive. At least make him aware that a large number of people think that he's a complete waste of life, and then he have to defend himself. Like, I am good. <laughs> Yankees and me. 
I want to hear him defend himself. But it actually says it has a biography of him, you know. Tremendous eloquence. It has a biography of him, Russ, and it says that he was the... uh, big achiever. He used to write for the Post in 1982. He covered college basketball. Oh, the New York Post. He was... uh, The worst newspaper in New York. (laughs) And then... uh, Good job, Michael Kay. He was... uh, He worked as a Yankees analyst from 1992 to 2002. top story, boobs in the city. (laughs) Many women today were in the New York City... Many of whom were in possession of boobs. <laughs> this has been the New York Post. This has been the New York Post. <laughs> yeah, that's what they, it's written in the column like that. Because they this has been the New York Post. Transcribes it and off. writes it down and they don't realize yeah, that there it's written and they don't need to And then the last off. paragraph is just, just going, beep, because it's the white noise that you normally see yeah, on the TV. It <laughs> well, it just trails off in the castle. Oh, <laughs> Oh my God! But he's been nominated, Russ. He's been nominated for the Dick Young Award for Excellence in Sports Media. He's been nominated for five Emmy Awards. Five, oh. five Emmy Awards. Has he won anything? Has he ever won anything? Well, he's been nominated, and rightfully so. I mean, he's interviewed. Never win. He interviewed uh, Joe Torre, Bill the day Parcells, that Michael K. Bob Costas. Wins an Emmy is the day that I start firebombing. <laughs> you can quote me on that. <laughs> Well, so yeah, you should because something has gone horribly wrong. I think you should make this website. Michael K has given those awards. It sounds like fun. I think I should. We have oh, what do I, that domain can't possibly be taken, can it? I, I hate Michael, Michael K is a useless piece of crap. No, no, it, there are lots of options. Type, yeah, type that I in, hate Greg. Michael K. Type Let's in. See. No, no, please I, to it, fire Michael K right now, Yankees. Michael K. Please stop the Michael K. The Michael K hurts me. <laughs> there are a lot of possibilities. Michael K is a terrible person. You need to put in quotes, Greg. All right, I'll put in per- Michael K. We got 615,000 hits for Michael K is a terrible person. Okay, no, Michael K sucks. Michael K, no way. <laughs> Michael K every day is horrible. Michael K sucks. 120 <laughs> hits. Let's see. Michael um, K gone astray. Muting, muting Michael K. Oh, oh, go up. Muting Michael That's, K. There's, there's a website there called mutingmichaelk.blogspot.com. Oh, wait, my friend. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, a fiery free-for-all fomenting the fatality of New York sports announcing. That's what it says. Uh, I found it. Yes, a fiery free-for-all fomenting the fatality of NYC sports announcing. But not just New York City sports announcing. It should be all about Michael K. Yeah, I don't know why he's... And how horrible he is. Yeah. Well, there's a label, Michael and K sucks. And updated since June. Michael K is a label this that sucks. sucks. This is not sufficient. Yeah, no. And every entry is not about Michael yeah, K. So there's still, a, there's, still, there's still opportunity for you. Okay, let's see. How- I should start a blog. About Michael K. Just like they do with the Joe Morgan website, where they just constantly quote Joe Morgan, where Joe Morgan's like, so this guy's his righties are better against lefties, and so he's a righty. Oh, good job there, Joe. How long did you play baseball for? <laughs> 75 years. Yeah. Righties. Yeah. and uh, He tried to go to first before he went to second. Good job, Joe. That's important. Yeah, and the, the truth is, it's funny, because that that's the one thing that Red Sox and Yankees and all these other fans can agree on, is nobody likes Michael K. Like, Red Sox people will bring up, well, you have Michael nobody K, and the Yankees him. will be like, yes, we do have Michael K, and we're really sorry about that. It's just like, what? But that's, There's, uh, I can't imagine people... So, okay, so is he the worst reason. announcer in the history of sports? Is he worse than John Sterling? And, and think I mean, carefully. The problem is... He's worse. Oh, John Sterling at least has got the voice. So he already just right off the bat has a quality that is desirable for now. But you realize he so went blind in 1995. And over, he hasn't seen a play in 12 years. Hey, Phil Rizzuto, God rest his soul, who just died a few days yeah. ago. Phil Rizzuto lost his eyesight about 15 years before the end of his Yankee broadcast <laughs> career. And it just made him all the more endearing for Yankee fans. <laughs> they had, holy cow, it's high, it's deep. Cop on the it's stuff. a pop-up to Castro. <laughs> oh, you huckleberries. Who let them hit it to Castro I know. Well, you know what's funny about him, they, had a, they showed a clip of uh, they showed a clip of him doing an opening sequence, and then he screwed it up. And he's like, oh, "I better do that again." They're like, uh, "Phil, we're live." He's like, "Oh God, oh we're live." Oh gee, <laughs> holy cow! He actually announced himself as his partner once. He's like, "Hi, like I'm that? Bill White." He's like, "Wait a minute, I'm not Bill White." <laughs> But see, that's charming. <laughs> Michael Kay's like, I'm Michael Kay, and I'm... And The exactly. thing with John Sterling, though, is that he's all ego, and the ego... Like, you... Seriously, Russ, you know about, like, painting a word picture? 
John Sterling finger paints like the, the the radio picture. Like that's what John Sterling does. John Sterling, John Sterling. The other day, I think it was maybe two weeks ago. I want to say actually called a game, called a home run call where he made the home run call. And started going into his whole shtick. For those of you who don't know, John Sterling is this other Yankee broadcaster who does this, you know, it is high, it is far. He's like very overdramatic, the right? Voice the voice of, of the, the Yankees. Yankees. And he called a home run and started going into the call when it had fallen five feet short of the warning track. Of the warning track. He's like, it is high, it is far, it is gone. The milkman deli- up oh, uh, Now the umpire saying he's out. I'm like, no, no, no. Physics is saying he's out. The fact that that guy threw the ball in 20 minutes ago and is now parked out in the center field on a lawn chair suggests that he was thrown out, John. Like, I mean, so if you come, there was a point where he was right. a partner with Michael Kay. How did that work? I think we can, we can all agree that there are many flawed sportscasters out there. The Chicago White Sox guys bad. who are like, oh, two nothing good guys. Here come the bad guys. Like, bad guys? Exactly. Are you a journalist? Are you related in any way to a journalist? <laughs> oh, the bad guys are up. I hope they don't score a run. Me too, because that would mean the good guys lose and the good guys vote to win. Like, and then they sound like they're from Mississippi when they're Chicago, and, and that doesn't make sense either. But like, good guy going to win. We like the White Sox. Yeah. Duff. Um. And you know the Red Sox announcers are huge homers, and everybody's a huge homer for the most part. They're very, but, but they're at least K, competent though. Stands above them all as a completely useless hack. Yeah, no, I mean it's completely useless human being. You know the worst ones used to like, be the Sterling for Yankee fans. Yankee fans enjoy Sterling because he lets you like savor the moment no. of like a home run. Yankee fans are starting to get annoyed at him now. Everybody loves Sterling. Well, I only get annoyed because it used to be like 15 years ago, Sterling's home run call was like watertight. It was like if he went into the it is high, it is far, you knew for a fact that it was gone. As soon as that started getting compromised, that annoys me a little bit. But other than yeah. that, I think he's great. Well, you know, he brings nostalgia. Mike, but not, you know, Michael K is useless. He doesn't do anything. The problem with his high and far Never. call is that he'll do it even on line drives. It's like it is high, it is far, it is off the wall. It's like how is it off the wall? <laughs> it was high and it was far. It is high. It is far. It is right up over Matsui's head, and it bounces on the ground. Like my favorite part of John Sterling is when he starts to get angry when the Yankees are losing. Yes, and he doesn't actually say anything as if like I'm angry, I'm disturbed. He says things like. And the score is eight seven Tampa Bay. Like he gets all extremely extra <laughs> dramatic to get out his anger. He also after a game is That's lost, after a game is lost, like he's strangling a cat he, while he's sitting there. He'll, exactly after a game is lost, he'll say he'll like do exactly what you said. He'll be like six five Tampa Bay wins, and then there'll be dead air for like twenty seconds during which he's like muttering to himself. You know, he's like yeah. he's while like kicking the dog. So Tampa yeah, Bay wins. You wouldn't have thought it, you know. But that's baseball. I mean, how can you figure baseball? Tampa Bay actually wins a game. I can't. <laughs> figure it well I, oh, you know, that's baseball, that's baseball. Well, I, oh, god almighty but cleo was just looking for the worst so sports anyway. broadcaster Re- did you see the thing that, that the guy read the worst <laughs> the worst catchphrase ever did you see that catchphrase what this guy has a catchphrase i don't even know what it's from what is, what is his name his name is Collins. Ball State University sports reporter Brian Collins, better known by his infamous catchphrase, Boom Goes the Dynamite. <laughs> what? Boom oh, Goes the Dynamite. I've heard of I've heard of Boom Goes really? the Dynamite. This is like an internet celebrity, this I've guy. I've never heard of this I've guy. I've definitely read about him before. About, I think I've even watched a clip of the Boom Goes the Dynamite. Well, yeah, they have a... I think he's like the Wesley Willis of sports casting. He's like that kind <laughs> of guy. They have a quote where he he's says, like a little off. Later he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and Boom goes the dynamite. What the hell is boom goes the dynamite? <laughs> it to the man. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> it to the man. He throws it toward the thing and boom the dynamite. <laughs> it's like Stuart Scott doing his booyah, but instead he does boom goes the dynamite. And it's a di- and boom goes the dynamite. What does that mean? Boom goes the dynamite. Here's another guy. Get Ron Santo. Yeah, the problem with Ron Santo is that he's had both his legs amputated from diabetes. So now, if you mock him even in remotely, everyone's like, "You are terrible and kick babies." So you have to be careful. Well, maybe he didn't take care of his diabetes. And if you kick babies, then you're also can do more things than Ron <laughs> Santo. Well, he so. said he's like the. G- he cannot kick babies. Go ahead, Clea. Give him the quote. Well, it says, um, "Strike three here would be a strikeout, and that would be great for us." <laughs> 
Here's the thing. If he gets oh, one more strike, some analysis. if he gets one more, I mean, there's other ones too. Rex Hudler for the Angels, who keeps talking every time Sean Figgins comes up to bat, he's like, and again, he's getting figgy with it. Just, oh, getting figgy with it. I figgy beg, with it? Yeah, I get oh, it. But the big problem with Rex Hudler, besides that he's a drunk, Rex Hudler has haunted my dreams because he's one of the commentators on MVP 2005, the baseball game that I'm addicted to. In the game, though, I don't think he does this anymore, but he was on this kick like three years ago when everything that he said he's like oh you gotta own up there big boy and then everything that he was saying <laughs> big boy? to you as a player is like big boy like what are you like a middle-aged gay man in a club that everyone's big boy, big boy, like, big boy? how is this appropriate for baseball he's like oh you gotta run faster than that big boy <laughs> like big boy are you like who are you are you greta garbo <laughs> Then there's a little, there's a secret Easter egg that you can unlock where he says, "Whoa, I like that little man." <laughs> You're like, "Oh no, it's horrible. It's actually true." I'm thinking of starting this movement, though. I might do this for Michael. Yeah, K's sounds sake. good. I think that's a good idea. Because he keeps people keep employing him, and it's bad, and it angers me. It's true. <laughs> And, oh, I remember what I was going to say. Howard Cosell used to complain about this. I've heard an interview given with Howard about Cosell. About Michael K? He was like, no, about okay. the crappy broadcasting in, in this country. How, like, they give too many jobs to ex-athletes, so that already eliminates the, you know, potential for anything interesting to be said on the air, unless you get somebody who's willing to tell some cool stories of, like, when they used to play. Right. And all the other guys, just these kiss-ass guys, and the actual art of broadcasting, of explaining what you've seen, painting a picture, you know, with your dialogue and everything that you said, that just doesn't exist. These guys aren't around who can do this well, anymore, and it's really lame. And when you get a couple guys who are play-by-play guys who feel like they have the opportunity to really make something of themselves, then you get people like Dave Sims. Dave Sims is the current broadcaster for Seattle, and Dave Sims overrates everything. He overcalls everything. Like, this is, this is a classic Dave Sims call. It's uh, 7-0, Tampa Bay leading the Seattle Mariners in the sixth inning here on this June evening, June 6th, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. The ball comes in, and it's a deep fly ball! It's caught, it's, it's caught, and there's a big out in the get! Like, and I'm not making that up. That's exactly how he reacts. He he is the biggest over... And I don't know if it's because he thinks he doesn't get to do much, so he figures every so often he has to make it count. What is this guy like at dinner? I'd like to pet And the butter is gunning to me! I got the butter! I can put it on the bread I got. Oh, God, thank you so much. I got the butter. Like, I mean... Can, oh, uh, I just terrible. remembered something great about Michael Kay. Do you know what his signature move was when he was a broadcaster on the radio for the Yankees? Besides this Sia? This was Michael Kay. Somebody, somebody told him... No, besides Sia, like, he had a signature thing that he did that nobody else did because it was so stupid. Okay. But this was... Somebody obviously told him to, like, paint pictures with your words and describe the action because people oh, can't I know see. What this is. So he'll sit there in the middle of an inning and be like, the Yankees are wearing their navy blue and white uniforms with the interlocking white <laughs> NY on the navy blue cap. They're wearing navy blue stockings <laughs> and blue shoes and a number on each of the back of the uniforms. For instance, two or five or 17. So true. Also, the pinstripes are blue against the backing of a white. We're like, yes, we know what the Yankees uniform looks like. And then also the interlocking a- NY in Navy on the che- left breast of the uniform. Like, are you serious? This is this is your filler? I know. Your filler is, I'm going to describe the uniform. It's true, and he's describing it God. of the most famous team in sports. Like, we're currently in New York, which is located, if you'd like to know, in the northeastern seaboard of the united states right next to connecticut and new jersey on the west side i mean uh, he still has moments where he does that as well okay clear you haven't had much to say about this right. do you do you not care about announcers well, yeah, what, what's your thing about announcers? help us out <laughs> I have- do you secretly love michael k <laughs> what is with you did help you out i found that 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 website that gave you some other possible names and quotes boom goes the dynamite <laughs> We're excavating. <laughs> it's a quarry out here <laughs> on the basketball court. Boom goes the dynamite. Boom, dynamite. Well, okay, as someone... I think I found some platinum ore. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Um, as someone, Cleo, who is yourself um, not as much of a sports fan as, let's say, Russ and myself are, 
what are you looking for when you listen to a sports book? What do you want a sports broadcaster on TV, let's say, if you're watching a baseball game with me or a football game? What do you want that person to do for you who's not as much of a sports fan? Make it interesting? Yeah, but how do they do that? No, I mean, the I- interlocking and why with the blue <laughs> navy and currently and courier 10-point font. This is so interesting. <laughs> I'm stitching a replica as he's speaking. I could never do this before. <laughs> a replica. So, but no, Cleo, what do you think? Of course I'd like him to do a detailed play-by-play and give me information that I can understand and, and stuff like that. I'd also like them to e- explain to me why all of these players have the most weird names ever. And even though they make millions upon millions of dollars, they don't pay the small fee of maybe $200 to have their names changed. Would you prefer that Jahani Peralta change his name to J-O-H, as, which is how it's spelled instead of J-H-O? Oh, Johnny Peralta. Jahani Peralta. The perfect example of mommy doesn't know how to spell. <laughs> mommy can't spell, and I'm stuck with his name. Oh, Jahani. Oh, <laughs> why is my name Jahani when everybody knows how to spell Johnny? Exactly. So, I mean, you'd prefer that's... But you know why? I think, like, 80% of the bad names are Dominican players. I don't really fully understand why, but, like, they don't have traditional Hispanic names in the Dominican Republic. It's like some of them, like, Ortiz and Rodriguez and Bedemit, but they just, they combine them with weird things. So, like, oh, yeah, Robinson Cano straight ahead. is named after Jackie Robinson. Well, like, Wilson, but it's, like, two last names, like, Wilson, Bedemit, and, you know, some of them have, like, Manny... But not Manuel, and like they just have strange names. Okay, no, and they I think because they just make things up. Okay, that's the Dominican people. That's make entirely up possible. Names. But when you have a name Putz, you you really why think, would you not uh-huh. change your name? Because it's Putz. It puts. does not count puts. to just pronounce it puts. differently. Puts. Your name is a Putz, puts. and you're a Putz like for not well, paying you know two hundred dollars. Oots company that makes That's pretzels. right. That's Oots. Oots. Just like that. Oots. Well, you know what's funny is that now Oots. Oots. opposing Oots. broadcasters now have gotten into their heads, so they overstate the mispronunciation to make it seem like they understand what's going on. So they're like, Oots. J.J. Poots. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm talking about. John Miller does that. Like when, And he takes great pride, John Miller, in like naming Hispanic names and doing them, like adding them. Like, for instance, last year, Rudy Sanez was pitching for the Red Sox, and John Miller insisted on calling Rudy Sanez. And every time he does it. It sounds like it's this dramatic like Mexican hat dance is going to occur. Rudy Sanchez! Every time he does any of the names. Yeah. Carlos Beltran. Rodrigo Lopez. <laughs> it's not, it's not uh, Carlos Beltran. It's Carlos Beltran is how he does the name. And they're yeah. like all overdoing it. roll the R's and then you have to say ah after the end of the name. That's how you do it. Beltrana! So it's like Carlos Beltrana! <laughs> And you have to sound like this dude who's introducing Telemundo. Like, you have to just be like... Authentic Spanish name. (laughs) Rudy Sanchez! Like, I mean, come on. Alexander Rodriguez! (laughs) Vladimir Guerrero! This is apparently the one Uh. skill they actually teach in broadcasting school. It's like, pronounce the Hispanic names with the rolling R's and the ah at the end. Far greater than anyone else. Everything else else you'll figure out on your own. Yeah, well, it's, exactly. you know, other people like that that think that they kind of speak enough Spanish when they're just talking normally. There was a comic that did this joke once. You're going along and you're like, oh, so then the tatia, then the taco. You know, suddenly when you say it, you say the name, all of a sudden it becomes super Mexican. Right, like that. All of a sudden it becomes super well pronounced. Does. Yes, I would like to please purchase two tortillas. That is awesome. Some people do that. Yeah. Because they really, really want to have the, like, feeling like, look, I get along with you people. I can speak your words. Even if it's not the way I normally talk, I'm okay with that. It's fine. Oh, uh, that's funny. Had be the guacamole. 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 With the, uh... Remember when Chris Berman used to do that when the Montreal Expos existed with any French-Canadian name? He would, like, beg and plead, Montreal, please draft French-Canadian players so I can speak in French and pronounce their names. And he's like, Nicole, yeah, and the Omron, <laughs> <laughs> the Expos. It's so true. We 
Wee Lasix Ball. Don't Eric Gagne. Oh, no, Wee Wee. I know, that's so true. <laughs> it's totally true. And it's as if they get some kick out of feeling like super dramatic. Except that then when you do... But the funniest thing about that is then you interview these players and you interview... Like at one point they interviewed last year Julian Tavares about Rudy Seanez. And they're like, what did you think about Rudy Seanez? And he's like... And Tavares sits right back to John Miller. is like, well, I thought, you know, Seanez was really good. <laughs> like pronounces it like the normal English way. Yeah. And Miller's like, you thought Seanez was good? <laughs> he's like, yeah, Seanez was really good. It was... I liked it. Thank you. Are we talking about the same is guy? that the guy who was that red sox pitcher known as el guapo rich garces el guapo uh rich garces <laughs> el guapo <laughs> the handsome one <laughs> garces ah what they need is ricardo montalban calling more of these games and they'd be fine exactly <laughs> no more garcia <laughs> and then you hear the fantasy island ah. theme in the background it works <laughs> Michael Buffer is one of the best at that. That's true. And now, in the blue corner, weighing 145 pounds, hailing from Venezuela, South America. <laughs> he does do that. Felix Elgato Trinidad. That's true. Everything about uh, everything about Buffer is like the, the Doppler effect fading <laughs> off. Maybe he should take over. For John Sterling. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. It's a long it's home a long run! <laughs> <laughs> Deep to left field! It is high! It is high! <laughs> it is gone! Oh, he'd just be doing the, oh. ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready for the home run! And he just holds that while they're running around the bases. That's what he said. No, actually, it was a it was a grounder. It was a 6-4-3 <laughs> double play. Home run! <laughs> What is a baseball? <laughs> it's a wonderful day for a ball game. No? All of a sudden he becomes Latino, even though Michael Buffer's play. Italian. That was more kind of Italian. Yeah. He hit the ball. It's entertaining. <laughs> you like it. Well, entertaining or not, folks, uh, we've come to the end of another hour. We want to thank everybody for listening to us and for checking us out. Please uh, continue to check the website, send us comments, do all that cool kind of stuff. Please continue to spread the word, let your friends know, let your family, and let everyone know so that you, too, yeah. can become part of the MEP Reports! Ah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Say goodbye, everybody! Welcome to everybody's favorite podcast, the show with three debaters, <laughs> the Map Report. <laughs> the proceeding was a presentation of the Map Report, hosted at www.mapreport.com. All rights reserved. In no way should any part of this show be construed as an invitation to buy, sell, or trade flightless birds, or reassemble Voltron, or at least not the stupid one in the cars. Please support the MEP Report by voting for the show at www.vitalpodcast.com, adding the show to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com, and clicking on the Vote for MEP link on the MEP Report homepage to vote for us at podcastalley.com. Email us at Greg, Russ, Story, or Andy at mepreport.com, and call us and leave a voicemail or a fax at 206-600-MEP1. That's 206-600-6371. And finally, please join the fight to stop the senseless farming of emu glands. It's immoral, it's unethical, and frankly, it's just a little bit gross. Tomorrow's just another day away